Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I realise I'm just wearing my loud jacket now, so this is probably a terrible thing to be wearing for an intro to the podcast, but I just wanted to um, drop in at the top here and thank you for listening. Um, there's been enormous numbers listening to the podcast recently, and uh, thank you to everyone who's taken the time to rate the podcast. Uh, it really makes a difference just getting it out there. I mean, we don't have any money for publicity, although <laughs> sometimes we get some free publicity uh, through the press, but... Um, not not always in our control, and uh, it's particularly salient to today's episode, I guess, but we'll get to that in a minute. Um, uh, if you want to support the podcast at some stage, I think around the 100th episode, I might uh, put together a Patreon, a specific Patreon for this um, podcast, and um, if people would like to support it and you feel like it has some value, it just helps me pay Podcast Mike, who produces it, and uh, Mike Hell our American editor who uh, edits all together and makes it all happen. So uh, it doesn't exist without them. Um, it's a fair amount of time uh, out of my life anyway to actually do the podcasts. And, um, uh, you know, they're they're fun to do. I, I mean, I, I feel very honoured that I get to have, you know, these sort of conversations with people. And people are incredibly honest when they come and talk to me. I, I'm I'm probably musing on that a little bit more than usual today because I uh, recorded an episode today with Craig Coombs. Who, that one will be out in a few weeks, but uh, he, he, he's terminally ill and he, he he shared his story and his adventures with me today and it just felt very... Uh, we were in a radio studio, which is not a very intimate situation, but the conversation was so intimate and so wonderful. But, you know, I'm, I'm tired it's um, sometimes, uh, you know, uh, anyway, whatever, I'm not going to complain. I'm just saying that it's uh, nice to be able to pay people to help me out and make it happen. And without them, it would not happen. And uh, your support, uh, whether it's just as simple as uh, writing a review or giving, leaving it a, a good rating on one whatever app, it, it gets it into the attention and it gets it out and about and people can share it around. And uh, the more that happens, the more capacity I have to, you know, keep doing it and do more with it. So, um, yeah, around the 100th episode, I reckon we'll look at a Patreon page, but in the meantime, um, the other way you can support me, of course, is come and see me do live stand-up. I'm not doing much at the moment, but I am booked in uh, at the Darwin Festival uh, to do my show, We're Legal, which is, uh, you know, the show that I, most people have been, uh, anyway, whatever, don't bang on about that, Will. I'm talking to myself again now. Anyway, uh, my show, We're Legal, is on at the Darwin Festival. If you're in Darwin, come along. Tickets selling fast. Uh, it's on in about a month and uh, it's, uh, you know, about two-thirds sold out already. So uh, get a ticket to that if you want to come and see it. All right, today. Um, okay, here's, here's um, M. Rassiano's back. Uh, she did the podcast about a year ago. And anyway, it was a different time in her life and I, I wanted to get her back on. She's about to go on this new tour. Um, in fact, when we record this about a week ago, she was two days away from opening her brand new show, Rage and Rainbows, at Hamer Hall. Hamer Hall's like, you know, two and a half thousand people. It's one of the most prestigious venues in Melbourne, if you're not from Melbourne. And uh, Em was about to debut her brand new show, a show that you can't really rehearse in a hundred seat room and try out a few jokes on a Thursday night. Uh, and at the end of this conversation, she we, we talk about, you know, the idea of whether she would be okay if I came along and saw it because... I haven't really seen, had the opportunity to see Em do one of her full-length shows, her proper shows, and 
but I I know that I would be nervous about you know other performers coming along on opening night. But uh, as you will hear, Anne was generous enough to say that she would like me to come, and I'd just like to speak about the show just for a second, if I could, because it it was amazing. I have thought about it a lot since, you know, which is a sign of a really good show. It was unlike anything else that's out there at the moment. It's unlike anything else that anybody else is doing. M discusses a little bit in this podcast about the idea that she's never quite felt accepted by various communities. And when you see what she does on stage, it's it's part Lady Gaga, it's part Australian Idol, it's part John Farnham, it's part Barry Humphreys at his greatest suburban satire, it's part RuPaul's drag race. There's giant dancing vulvas and there's brilliant songs and it has a sense of her dad plays on stage with the eight-piece band that she has um and this is the sort of show it is eight-piece band and 10 dancing vulvas and she'll talk all about that but you know the traditional 10 12 days of christmas 12 dancing vulvas uh and it's a show that is about Rage and Rainbows. That's such a great name for the show because it is so an accurate description of what the show itself is. It's a it's a force of nature. And I think sometimes there's a you know if you're a, a like you're know, a jack of all trades then people consider you to be a master of none and it's a theme that comes up in this podcast. The idea that you know M necessarily like you know, you know has some feelings about not being accepted by the comedy community as being a pure comedian. And I think I can see why it's because, you know, what she does doesn't neatly fit into what the traditional idea of stand up is. But if, if Hannah Gadsby has taught us nothing, you know, but not just Hannah, Zoe Coombsmar or Sam Simmons or Tom Walker or Demi Lardner, these people who have shown what you can do with the form and the format and that there is no right or wrong answers to what a thing is. Well, here's what I will tell you. Here's what I know. I've seen all the best comedians in the world and this show is, when it's being funny, is so fucking funny. Like, you know, laugh out loud, gut-punchingly funny. And it was the first night, you know. Like, as a comedian, I know that that will only get better and tighter and, and more hilarious. But, you know, it landed hard and strong and fierce. The songs, there's like six original songs or something. There's a John Farnham medley, as, as, as Em will talk about in this podcast. But, you know, the songs she wrote with Kate Miller-Heike, and it's like watching a, a six-part Eurovision. Like, it's... The thing that I kept coming back to was, I imagine in Madonna's head when she wanted to try stand-up, this is what the show would have looked like. When Madonna had that dream that night that she goes, I could be and all I could use all the skills I have as Madonna, but also be hilarious and do a show like that. She had a dream about M. Rush, M. Rossiano's show, and uh, and then she tried stand up. It did not work out for her, but it does work out for M. Uh, it was fantastic. The other thing that I noticed was that. It's it, it's for an audience that isn't being catered to by other things. Of the two and a half thousand people at Hamer Hall, I'd say that 2,300 2, of them, 
I'm guessing. I don't even know why I corrected myself. But let's just say over 2,000 of them are, are women. I've never been in a room, I think, you know, that disproportionately, um, uh, you know, one way or the other, you know. So it was, it was a, a lot of women, a lot of mothers, a lot of people who understand, you know, uh, who, who are cr- laughing and crying at stories of babies or pelvic floors or, you know, sneezing and these things. So it is definitely for them, and they 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 love her. You know, they they dress up, they come out, they support her. It's a as much a show as it is a celebration of all of them. You know, she she has that sense of being still that little girl who went and dressed in her mum's clothes and put on a show for her dad, and her dad is still sitting there on stage playing in the band now, and there's still that sense of like, you know, yeah, I've got some costumes. You know, it's a rainy day. Watch my six-part show that I have put on. and But just done in, you know, to the nth degree, you know, to this spectacular celebration that the audience absolutely loves. Uh, there is probably a couple of hundred gay guys and then there's the hundred or so straight men who am uh, asked to stand up <laughs> during the show, fair warning, uh, I decided to equivocate about my sexuality for the sake of not having to stand up. But I, uh, <laughs> um, uh, here's what I would say about that. And the only reason I make that observation is that I think that is a shame because even though the jokes in the show and the story of this show and the the, the idea of the, you know, the, the expressions of the things that make women angry and, and what they're angry about and where that rage comes from and what it means. They're things that men should hear. I did not feel alienated from the show. I loved the show. Of course I can laugh at a pelvic floor joke. And and there was this great sense also, men, of me just going, oh, okay, this is what they're laughing at behind our backs. And I think at the very least, it would be incredibly educational. Come along, come on a secret mission, put on a disguise and see what your wives are are laughing at behind your back. It was a wonderful show. It should be for everybody. It takes nothing away from it, uh, from the fact that you can sell out two Hamer Halls uh, based on just being the favorite person of that demographic. But, you know, if everybody else gets on board, it should sell out five Hamer Halls. I loved it. I love this opportunity to sit down with them. Um, I don't want to linger about, you know, what happened last time because that's in the past. I wanted to talk to Emma about uh, where she's at now. I think that's, you know, that that's as interesting as anything else. I had no particular interest in going back and going over what happened a year ago and, and, and what happened post that podcast, which I loved, by the way, because, you know, I love M at full flight, um, but this is a different M today. Still with all that in her, you know, the greatest expressions of who she is, but um, for somebody who was two days away from opening a really wonderful show and a massive production and, you know, six months after having a baby, uh, well, you, I, you know, if I had a hat on, I would dip it to her uh so glad to have her back on the podcast. I hope you enjoy this conversation that we had. If you've never heard the original one, you know, maybe listen to this one now and then go back and dip into that one. But um, thanks for spreading the word. Uh, thanks to Em for doing this podcast. Go and check her out. Oh, that's what I should tell you. Hobart, Perth, Brisbane, Sydney. There may be still, still some tickets available. And um, I reckon you'll have a really good time if you go out uh, and see the show. All right, uh, here it is. Yeah.
Emma Rassiana. Welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. My name is Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. Um, comfort, comfortable is uh, the theme for today. <laughs> comfortable amongst discomfort is the theme for today. I am rearranging my microphone because Ramona, uh, my dog, is sitting on my lap and she's licking my hand and she's put decided to sit essentially where I had the microphone placed previously. Uh, she was, before that, Winnie's uh, at the feet of uh, my, my guest here today and uh, it's a, a cold Melbourne winter's day. Uh, we've got uh, warm cups of coffee and we've made ourselves comfortable. We've invited the dogs into the podcast today. So at, at different stages, I imagine that they're going to pop up and interrupt or uh, need to be loved <laughs> in the middle of it. But I think it's, it's good. I think it's a good um, environment. It feels cosy. <laughs> And it feels like it's the right energy for what's about to happen here today because I have a return guest. And uh, I, don't, I do return guests on this podcast. It's, it's, you're certainly not the first one. I uh, had the great honour of um, Dan Sultan, uh, you know, recording a podcast with me uh, a week before that he had a, you know, um, incident in, in regard to his relationship with alcohol and a bunch of things and... He came back and did an entire episode, you know, you know, nine months down the track, of all about that. And oh, hang on, now Wendy's decided to go downstairs and bark it. Uh, that'll that'll just be her trying to be a guard dog. <laughs> anyway, look, I should introduce our guest, and then um, and then we can talk. So anyway, this is how the podcast starts. I ask the guests who they are. Who are you? M. Rossiano. Oh my God, she's Hi. back. <laughs> Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm. Much better than the last time we sat in this room. I know. I mean, well, I've seen you since. Well, I think this room is better too. This room has improved as well. It, it's more lived in. Yes. So it, there was not much furniture actually the last time I was here. I no, think it was were, pretty sparse. It I was. was just moving in at the time. I was time. worried for you. Now there's <laughs> piles of useless shit all over no, the place. No, you're very intellectual. I like look at all these piles of books. Straight away I'm intimidated. I love what you've done here. You're trying to like you lull people in. Look at my cozy couch, but look how smart I am. I have a 6 foot high tower of books. <laughs> Did you notice though? Cuz there's another tower coming in the next couple of days cuz I <laughs> underestimated how many towers I'd need. I bought one tower and I once I put the books on the tower, I realized I, I had more towers. I need another tower. Yeah, well. So, uh, there's another tower coming this week. Good. I have arranged the books in uh, colour. Color. Of course. I, I study visual merchandising. I understand colour blocking very well. I've done the same thing at my house. Is that right? Yeah, I feel like we have a lot of similarities. I always think you're a kindred spirit. I always say that about you. Yeah, but that's I would do that. I do that with my cupboard though too. Winnie. Winnie. I like the barking. It adds yeah. to the cosiness. No, she can, yeah, she, but she can come up here and sit on Winnie, the bed. Sit Go to bed. bed. Go to bed. I brought your bed up here so you could sit on it. Yeah, I kind of alluded to the fact I was coming back and a lot of people were excited. Well, I mean, your episode that you did last time, like, is one of, you know, I think the most talked about episodes in the yeah. history of this podcast. Well, and I mentioned it again on another podcast a couple of weeks ago and then I went straight back into the top 10 after just mentioning it. Yeah. People wanted to hear why I intentionally drove my career into a wall. 
So that was last time. <laughs> <laughs> Not much has changed, really. I mean, God, what's new with you? So how long ago was that that we talked? I think that was a year. Yeah. Okay. I feel like it's almost a year to the day. Yeah, it wouldn't be far away from that, probably. We but were close to mid-year holidays and I was spent. Yeah. And I listened back to it and I, and I, and I think I said this to you. I realised I was trying to self-sabotage. Because I listened back to it in a much better headspace and was like, I had to pause it a couple of times. And I was like, holy fuck, what did you just say? What the hell did you? I, but I remember leaving thinking, God, that was great. Mm. You know, Will and I had a really good chat. Cathartic. Yeah. Well, I mean, but it probably. Uh, it was good. No, no. It's what I time, needed. It is what I is needed. what you needed. At the right time, you came in and asked the right questions. It just. Now I'm out and clear and, and I'm glad that happened because my husband had to take me away for the weekend because I was so distraught. And that's the weekend Elio was conceived. So I wouldn't have this beautiful six-month-old child really without your contribution. <laughs> well, that's a nice way of putting it. I appreciate that. <laughs> oh, really, I should have called him William. I mean, really. it's, a, it's a very traditional but lovely name. So uh, what I wanted to do, and I was so glad when uh, – you know, you said that you would do the podcast again because I just thought it would be nice to catch up with you now yes, and see where you're at. Like mm. I don't, I have no particular interest in going over what's gone past, but I am very interested in mm-hmm. knowing what you're up to now. And mm-hmm. it occurred to me because you were, you know, doing a, a new tour. I was like, well, you know. Em and I are on the same page with this, which is like we both <laughs> we both see the opportunity of flogging some tickets. Yeah. So um, I was like, oh well, this might be a good opportunity to ask if Em would like to come and do the podcast again. So I want to I want to see where you're at now. So yes. you're what at this stage, at the stage of us recording this, people will hear it a few days afterwards. But mm-hmm. um, when we're recording this, it's a Wednesday, so it's a week before this will be out, basically. Yes. Yes. And. Um, uh, on Friday, yes, you debut your, your brand new show. Yes, uh, so it's called Rage and Rainbows. Rage and Rainbows, mm-hmm. and I saw you uh, straddling a unicorn mm-hmm. uh, as as part of the. Uh, so, w- Rage and Rainbows. Tell mm-hmm. us, tell us about where you're at three days before <laughs> you know launching this huge new tour. This, tell me about what your life's like at the moment. I I swing between enormous excitement and then just debilitating anxiety and dread. So it's just this, there's no middle ground at the moment, which is exhausting. And I especially wanted to come and see you because I know it's a unique thing going into a national tour, a big one where you've been working on the material and it's been a year in the making and not many people understand the emotions and you do. So my husband said, it's good you're seeing Will because he'll be able to like, you know, just, just listen and understand. I said, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I've, I'm like, I've been at home with a baby and I've kind of sequestered myself and had to finish the show. I'm also writing a book at the moment, my first fiction book. So um, I've had a lot of writing to do. So it kind of feels like I'm walking back out into the world and it's, it's going to be quite overwhelming. But I'm really excited. I, it's the best thing I've ever written. It's the most freed I've ever been. Um, it came from a really dark place and ended up in a place of joy. So the Rage and Rainbow title is kind of explained in that way. Where do you start writing a show like that? Where does it, where does it start in the first place? Do you start with a kind of idea of 
what it will be mm-hmm. and then let it kind of become what it is mm-hmm. or do you do you start with no idea about what it's going to be is it completely <laughs> different to what you thought it was going to be yeah like where did where did that process start when did you when did you put on the vision board and I don't mean <laughs> I don't mean literally the vision board but but yeah. you know as a performer there is a there's a kind of structural vision board mm. which is that if you're going to book the venues that you play mm. if you're these things aren't available on a week and a half notice. Mm-mm. You know, you're going to have to say, this is what I'm going to do in, you know, yeah. June next year. This yeah, is you what know, I'm we think of the in- title for our shows before we've even written the shows. Exactly. You know, we shoot the poster. We don't even know what the fucking show's about. Here's a bit of a tip. <laughs> just put your name in it. Make it a pun. <laughs> Very know, easy to just so roll those out. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. Um, um, so, we, so, yeah, tell me about the process of how you got to – you know, three days out from, you know, going on a national tour. I was crossing the road six months pregnant last year and uh, I just kind of left the radio and um, a truck driver yelled out the window to me, why don't you smile, love? And I turned around, I snapped and I turned around and said, why don't you break your own arm off and fist yourself up the ass, you fucking mongrel. <laughs> and I was, um, yeah, I realised in that moment... I had a bit of shit to work on. I mean, it's poetic. Totally. And look, he makes an appearance in the show and it, I was with my 17 year old daughter and she said to me, like I was bent over heaving in the middle of up up at Clifton Hill on um, niche shots on, I don't know, on Punt Road. And I was bent over heaving and pregnant and my 17 year old daughter said to me, are you okay? And I looked at her and I said, I'm fine, but I wasn't fine. And I've been saying I was fine for, for so long. And so I started asking the women around me, you know, how they were twice. You get the first one, I'm fine. But I like to dig. I want to know. So I go, no, how are you? And they all started saying, I'm really pissed off and I don't know why. So it just, I started doing a deep dive on female rage and that's where the show came from. So where did that, where does that, firstly, very poetic way of being rageful though. I mean, was it, was it cut your own arm off or tear your own arm off? Cut your own arm off. I believe it was cut your own arm off and fist yourself to death. Shut up your ass. I mean, you subsidy, you fucking mongrel. Just so much work in that but as well. Know, because, like, yeah. firstly, you've got to cut the arm off. I now thought you, about all the steps. Yeah. But then, secondly, once the arm's cut off, mm. to then use your other arm mm. with your arm Correct. to be able to fist yourself. And using the and word fist a, anyway. In know? a vigorous manner. Correct. I mean, to Till you die. <laughs> Till you die. Well, you Till probably... you drop this bloody stump on the ground and drop dead. I mean, technically, you were probably dropping dead because of the blood loss from the, the arm cut off being arm, cut off more than the fisting uh, to death. Semantics. I, what, what gets you first? I wanted to hear yeah, <laughs> what's going to get him first: extreme blood loss or extreme fisting. I want you to know that I did curb myself because I was in front of my daughter and I said "mongrel" and not "cunt." Okay. So I wasn't completely yeah. off my head. I no, really, no. you know, she was fine about... with the fisting yourself to death bit as long as you said "mongrel." Don't say "cunt." Um, yeah. So when you say so, you. Firstly, you have to start then with going, I'm... I'm mad. I'm mad. I'm so mad. And I was and I was so... I was in a place where I felt like I was out of control of my life. I was out of control of what the media were writing about me. I was out of control of my career. I was out of control of my body because I had a baby growing in it. And I was desperately trying to not be rage-filled because I was con- concerned about losing another baby. Yeah. Because my stress was so through the roof. You know, after, after all that happened last year... 
all the most awful things I'd ever thought about myself in my worst moments got written. And, you know, it was just this whole terrible, terrible thing. And then I realized lots of things were making me angry. And, and, and I, I went to therapy and I wrote it all down and I had to get roll right to the edges and to the end of, okay, well, why is one person writing one mean thing about you, throwing you for a week? And why do you want to track that person down on Facebook, get them fired, find their mother, screenshot what they've written, send it to their mother and get them so fucking angry and in trouble so that they feel as bad as you do? So I had to go through all of that. And I realized that all the things people were writing about me, I was worried were true. Right. That's what it comes down to. And yeah, I w- somebody said it to me. It's very, it's easy to hear, but it's harder to put into your life. Absolutely. But somebody said to me once that criticism only hurts if you believe that it's true. It's absolutely Otherwise, right. who cares what somebody else says? If you think, if you think that somebody, it's like if, you know, like the idea of at some stage it would have been in my life if someone goes, you're not funny. I would have been hurt by that because I would yeah. have been, but these days I'm just like, mate. well, clearly some people think I'm funny. Look at my posters on the wall. Look, mate, he's got a frame poster, yeah. mate. People who aren't, who aren't funny don't but get But the point is, posters. absolutely, you know, there's heaps of people who don't find me funny. I, I'm very comfortable with that. I doubt that. But the idea that you're not, oh. you're like, it's okay, I've... Yeah, there's some uh, things I'm rock you know, steady on. Now I can walk away from that oh. sort of comment because yeah, I don't, because I... Because I don't believe it's no, true. No. But if you, if they're saying something about you that you have some sort of doubt, oh yes, now she's doing her. Here we go. Winnie has a way of going, if she wants a bit of love, where yeah. she will do the little poor thing she's and very subtle. demand a little. Just say, she's hey, like, excuse me. Hey, can I have some of this? Can I, excuse me. Can you can move I your please, hand? Uh, <laughs> she's can so I please delicate. have some of this? You're so right. Because if someone says to me, you're a bad mother, yeah. I'm like, whatever. Yeah. I'm a fucking awesome mother. My right. kids are model citizens. They're great. I love my kids. But if someone says to me, oh, you're a diva or um, no one wants to work with you or you're not funny I'm still self-conscious about my ability to be funny um, I haven't got where you are um, then I do stew on it and get angry and get upset so all the things that were being said were like oh god but um so you know, and I don't I don't want to delve too much into look, this we can delve a bit because people but, want to hear yeah well okay well I, I'll delve as much as you feel comfortable yeah, sure, sure, but sure. I'll ask you this yeah because not many people go through that. No. Not many people go through the idea of becoming somebody that the media have decided is a person of interest, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> like, you know, as in like, you know, in this clickbait world that we mm. live in. And I am for some reason. You get, you drive clicks, right? And they can write a story and, you know, people, suddenly there is this idea of you out there in the world mm. that weirdly enough, the more they write it, the more you almost become it. Self-fulfilling prophecy. Right. Mm. Tell, just tell me kind of what, what, what is that like to have an external opinion of you mm. start to shape what you're actually like? Well, you're right. And it's exhausting. And, and it was starting to happen. And I've just now been able to turn that buggy around. Even my followers, thank goodness, are, like I've got this huge community. Uh, the best. That, and they, they Seriously. Like, I mean, one of the great, and this is, you know, I mean, one of the great gifts I um, got from that podcast was the amount of your followers who, you know, very much are, you know, the way that they have your back. Yeah. And the way that they are there for you. Yeah. You know, and the way that they are inspired by you and... And even in that podcast, we're so proud of the way that you spoke the truth of the moment mm. that you were going through. Mm. And that's exactly why they mm. they follow you and mm. why they adore you. Because 
when you are going through that, you you know, you bleed for them. Yeah. But they didn't want you to have to keep bleeding. They, no. They, they were like, we love this about you that you yeah. will, you know, kind of, you know, you'll do it for us and you'll show us what you, how you're hurting and you mm. wear it on your sleeve. But also at the same time, you could see how protective they were of you of yeah. going, we don't want you to be feeling like this all the time. No. But they've gone to the trouble of getting to know me. And they've gone to the trouble of coming to see me do stand-up. And so their opinions are, are valuable to me because they've seen the whole 360 vision of me. Whereas there are other comedians, other performers, journalists who have never seen me do what I do best. And they make judgment calls on opinions of other people or maybe snippets they've heard of me on air. And But I mean, like last week I did the project and it was a great interview. And um, it was, you know, it's kind of, everyone's watching it, it's great. And then news.com decided to write make the headline oh m m and waleed's incredibly awkward interview and it was like no but it wasn't but i read it just laughed whereas six months ago i would have been in a fury over that because i now trust the people that i care about to know the truth whereas a while back i was so panicked to be able to get every set of eyeballs that read those horrible things about me and grab them by the shirt and say no 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 you're wrong that's not true so I've, I've been, I'm at peace with it now and I don't know why I'm so interesting. I feel like I put everything out myself on my own channels. I don't know what anyone else could learn more from. You, I, like. I believe that's part of the fear. <laughs> I, no, I honestly, I do because I, I've experienced some of it myself. Mm. You know, I don't pretend to have the window into it that you have, but you know, I have had glimpses through that window mm. and I think part of it is that old media is terrified of people who have their own audiences. Mm. Like, you know, they used to be the gatekeepers. Yeah. They used to be the people who got to tell the public, you like this person and you don't like this person mm. and this person, you know, plays by the rules and this person doesn't play by the rules and we set the agenda. Mm. And they have seen the power of their capacity to influence people's opinions on those things, mm. you know, through the amplification of, you know, fake news and the clickbait yeah. nature of the media and, you know, the dying nature of the media. It's not all their fault, but it's been a response to that, which yeah. is the headlines get more and more extreme and oh, the, the opinions have to get more and more extreme to get people to... It's you know, funny, they've stopped putting names on the things they write about me. Yeah. It's always a staff writer <laughs> because my community just find those journalists and mm. just go them. And they're terrified because you have your own community. Yeah, and I'm, you, they, fuck, I'm they're so terrified. Right. They're talk. terrified because you don't need them. No, like, well, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just grateful that I have found these people and how supportive they are. And it's a huge responsibility to me. And, and I know that I have their eyes. And, you know, so people always want to buy their eyes off me. You know, the term, if I ever get called an influencer, I'll be very upset. Um, but you are in the in the actual proper meaning of that, I don't know. which mean, is that you are a person who people admire, you know, the way that you live your life and the art that you make and the communication that you put out there. Mm. That's how you've built that fan base. Mm. You've built it through, you know, you haven't built it through, you know, bikini shots on Instagram as far as, <laughs> no. I, as I follow you on Instagram. No I haven't seen. <laughs> no one needs that in their life. Again, and by the There's way. There's not enough filters, mate. And the other thing is also, if people well, build it that way, I'm fine Whatever, with that mate, as well. Whatever, me too. You live mate, and let live. I'm yeah, the same. I'm not, yeah. I'm, Whatever. That, that, I realise that sounded a bit too judgy. And no, I no, no. And no. I didn't mean you it to sound to judgy. But um, no, I, I'd like to apologise for the large to the large legion of <laughs> bikini-clad Instagram influencers who listen to this. <laughs> Definitely. Podcast, my major demographic. <laughs> Please do a philosophy plug in your bikini shop. When you look out at it, your audience, it's just yeah. women in bikinis. I mean, I mean, on brand. Uh, so, um, all right. So, 
you went through that. Yeah. You, you're pregnant. It was just incredible. You, Everything was. And so tell I didn't me. Think I'd survive it. And again, I, I hesitate to ask about all these things because ask. I don't want to create, you know, more trouble for you. It's though. fine. Just ask but and I will be very cautious. You went through, you know, a publicly horrible experience losing a child. Yeah. Yeah. And then suddenly you're pregnant again, mm-hmm. as you say. Mm-hmm. You know, you're three months in and you're filled with rage. Mm. And I imagine pretty terrified about, I am I in a... I mean, I don't know. I'm well, guessing. Well, I didn't realize. Like, are I, you are you scared that the same? Like you, you mentioned that you start to worry that you you know. Yeah. So, you know, losing the baby, all the things that I had been smiling and waving at and being really brave about and being openly, oh, you know, I'm I'm hurting, but I'm moving on. I hadn't moved on. Yeah. I'd put a bandaid on all of those things. Do and- you find that anger is well? From my perspective, I'll say this: that I find in the moments where I become you're angry mm. that is so often a, a, a bunch of things that I have been putting band-aids on correct that finally mm. become just too much it's never the one thing Mm-mm. you know you know sometimes yeah yes I'm angry about the thing the but I'm not really angry at the no. thing no <laughs> you know, like, poor fucking guy yeah yeah no that was the tipping point yeah. for me <laughs> uh, you're so right <laughs> sorry mate this is not all about you <laughs> I have requested you fist yourself to death, but I will confess, this is not all about you. I should have called the show Fist Yourself to Death. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I can't stop saying it. <laughs> if you take anything away from this podcast. <laughs> oh, I mean, it'd be great to see the James Fosdyke picture of you <laughs> just with the quote, fist yourself to Please death. Please don't put that on my little picture. Oh, Jesus Christ. It's going to happen, isn't it? Shit, I should have sold it as merch. Just a fist. Oh, I mean, uh, yes. Really so, all right. So, you you start. You decide you're going to write a show about yeah. female rape. And, and from little girls, we're taught to be, that it's important to be liked and we teach little boys it's important to be respected. And so, we grow up as women wanting to mould and shape ourselves into pleasing machines, into making everything okay. And little boys and dudes don't feel that pressure. They don't grow up like that. They grow up with different pressures, obviously. So, yeah, I, I just – anger – people are comfortable with women being sad, um, but anger's great in that it's a doing emotion. But for me, I got really stuck in that rage and it started to manifest in – I was eating it. And I think a lot of women do this. They eat their rage. They drink it. They online shop it. Um, you know, they swallow it down and it bursts out in other ways and in other health problems rather than just... What do you eat when you eat your rage, by the way? I'm just curious because, I mean, for me, that's... What do you eat? Well, I I mean, because I'm vegetarian, so... Yeah, how do you... What do you... Well... I need blood dripping down my chin. No, so, yeah, well, so, I, I, me, it's more just like, What's the most unhealthy vegetarian food that you can find? What does that exist? Is that an oxymoron? I know. Well, that's what I mean. It becomes quite a challenge. I will have a it's, deep fried yeah. mushroom. It's really hard to punish yourself. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, punishing yourself enough. It makes it. You're makes already it punishing really yourself hard. enough, mate. You're not having a nice steak. You know. <laughs> Hello to all our vegan friends. <laughs> Cheers. Don't bother writing to me. You do you, I'll do me. Yes. Uh, so what do you eat when you... Everything, anything I can get my hands on, yeah. honestly. Um, I'm Italian, so I'll go to my dad's and I just sit at the table and I say, Vinci, feed me. Mm. And it will, and it is just the most joyous thing. My dad's a feeder. So I was spending a lot of time around at my parents' house eating. Luckily, I was pregnant. Oh, God, I ate. 
if you lost your appetite last year, I found it, Melbourne, Australia. Oh, my fucking God, I ate so much. I was eating baked potatoes and I'd have like bacon, cream cheese, um, oh, God, avocado, mints. I was making my own one and I'd just sit there yeah. and I was eating a couple spuds a day. And then sometimes... This is not really a plug desperate. for spud, but... Oh, but sorry. I, no, no, no. I'm, you're not really sorry because I'm about to say I also... Oh. Like if talking comfort food. Oh, spud like bar. If, spud bar is... Oh. That, they should say... <laughs> that should be their slogan. Spud bar. Sad people. Are you going through something? <laughs> spud bar. Oh, no. How are you? We could, yeah. <laughs> this should just be deep depression, spud. Yeah. Breaking yeah. up with my boyfriend, yeah. spud. Um, yeah, like I, yeah. I used to, but then spud I Spud bar. This will fill the hole inside you. <laughs> oh, my God. We are writing it for them. But I got so desperate, Will. I would drive to a Westfield food court. Yeah. And be there waiting for the 15-year-olds to pull the spuds out of yeah. there. And it's a fucking sad place, the Westfield Food Court, at 9am on a weekday. It's not good for your mental health <laughs> to be just, sitting there. Just sitting there just <laughs> With the unemployed yeah. and the kids wagging school. When are the spuds done? <laughs> and so I'd be there with like bacon all over my face. If there's security cameras from that time, fuck, there's just this sad, enormous pregnant woman crying into her baked potato. Um, and I carried around a 16-pack of Ferrero Rochers in my backpack. Like... <laughs> Just in case I got hungry, just popped a few. Um, oh, I, I like thank fuck I was uh, pregnant because, but I I just ate. It was I was eating all the time, and that was what I was doing with my rage. But I was also writing it all down, which is very helpful for a show. Um, I, I just wrote a lot, and when I, I no one should ever ever read the things that I wrote down last year. Those that reminds me to set those things on fire very soon. Um, I wrote down the most awful, horrible things that I was feeling and thinking that I've been able to pull a few things, but a lot of it was just to get the sticky thoughts out of my brain and out of my fingers. Um, And out of your body a little bit. Out of my body. Because once you, well, tell tell me about how you feel about this, but I imagine that you're having so many conversations in your head. Mm -hmm. You're constantly in your head Mm -hmm. refuting arguments, (laughs) you know, like being obsessed by something that was written that was wrong and you're you're like in your head, you're coming up with your revenge plan or your whatever or just like, you know, the myriad of conversations, the myriad of emotions. Yeah. Just the act of putting them down on a piece of paper and they go, okay, they don't have to be up here anymore. They're down there yeah i do that do you do that i mean i have done that Mm. i certainly found after i did the show about being arrested Mm. because that was a majorly traumatic time in my life Mm. that i spent a lot of time you know doing the process of getting it from being something that was really traumatic for me to go through Mm. because essentially you know it's a story about me being arrested for something that i didn't do Mm. like it's a you know it was a I had a little bit of post-traumatic stress. I had all these things that I was dealing with mm. and I had to move it from the conversations I was having in my head, re-prosecuting the entire day, you know, get it on paper. And it, like you, mm-hmm. if anybody saw <laughs> the aggrieved, punished by the world. Oh, the like, victim. You know, I was a Sad, victim. emo, yeah. 15-year-old, <laughs> you know, yep. like that you. version of it. Oh, so, my God. So I say that to you know, to give you some under, like to at least give us some context of, yeah. I have some understanding of that. So then how did you process mm. it from being, mm. you know, the victim, uh, angry, uh, sad on paper mm. stuff into mm. a show? How does that process go? Well, as the pregnancy progressed, I guess I ha- I got really into my body. And, and as you know, when you, when you start paying attention to your body, 
your mind stops wandering. You know, it's, it's some, the best thing to do. People talk about exercise is mm. when you're feeling really shitty, get in your body, go and do something that puts you in the moment. So as I got more pregnant and, and, and I realized this baby was coming, I just was able to let it go. <laughs> so I think the moment I truly let it all go was the moment they laid Elio on my chest. And I looked up at Scotty and, and, and the girls were there and I had all my most important – my best friend Michael was there and my parents were there and I had all my most – all my people were in one room. And I'm like, this is all that matters. Mm. This is all that matters. And no one can take this moment away from me, no matter what they write about me. Well, if my career one, tanks One tomorrow, person can. Me. You can. Yeah. And, and, and I am a horrific self-sabotager. I will push people away before they have a chance to reject me. That is my MO. That is something I think I behave in such an appalling way um, just to be able to be able to say, see, mm. when they finally leave because I push them so hard. See, I was right. I'm glad I didn't put any effort into getting to know you. So I spend my life holding people at arm's length and I think I'm so loud and, I, and I'm so desperate to fill the space so that nobody else tries to step in and fill the space toward me. And it takes a long time for me to trust people and feel comfortable um, you know, I've had all the same friends since I was a teenager. It's taken Scott, my husband, 19 years to truly get close to me. Um, my parents are probably still working at it. But, um, yeah, I, yeah, but then there are certain- well, I, don't, I don't know who said it. Uh, I've quoted different people and I'm actually not sure who originally said it. Mm. But, you know, there's a theory that a lot of comedians become comedians so that they can choose how people laugh at them. Yeah. That, you know, that we know that people are going to laugh at us. Oh, that makes me really sad. But, but by being a comedian, yeah. you get to control how mm. people laugh at mm. you. So this sense of you pushing, you know, opening yourself to the audience, but yeah. at the same time pushing people away That are closest close to me. Is yeah. you know, completely understandable. And but at the at other end of the spectrum, you know, the mistake that we can make, and, you know, certainly I've been guilty of making this myself, is that you like you said it was the people in that room that care yeah and the only person who can take them away it's from me. you is you caring about all these other assholes who you'll never meet yeah. that you never see day to day no. you're never going to run matter. into once no it matters whether you know like it matters whether your partner is angry at you for not taking the rubbish out yeah. a lot more than it matters yeah. what somebody wrote on news.com.au yeah. it's so true <laughs> and yet we give the best of ourselves and right. all of our energy to the people that matter the least yeah. and then the ones that you love and are closest to they get the dregs mm. like I find it hard enough I'm here by myself at the moment as I was we were having a chat beforehand and you know so it's just me and the two dogs and a cat you mm. know and even that even coming home to like mm. have the energy mm. every day to make sure that they're walked and loved and fed washed and, and fed yeah. and I make them food and blah, mm. blah, blah. By the time you do that and mm. your job, mm. the amount of like energy you have for anyone else or anything else is, is drained from you. And I think part of it is it's not just the hours. No. But it's the fact that you're doing a show. You're the classic, uh, my dad's got a barn. We found these costumes we're putting on a show. A hundred percent. And just so everyone remembers, my dad now sits on the stage in my band and is forced to watch the shows at a very close proximity. Dad, yeah. Dad, dad, <laughs> look at me, look at me, look at, look at me, look, look, look now, look now, look now. hundred percent. That is me. I love performing. I just, I'm not very good with small groups of people. I'm great with like 3,000. Not yeah. so great with five. Well, that's okay. That's an okay thing to realise about yourself. Oh, look, I've... Can I tell you, 
every week I learn something new that I, I think I wake up and go, yeah, I'm a good person now. And then I'll catch myself in something and go, oh, fuck, you got a bit of work to do. You are a despicable. Every week I'm learning something because I've put myself in a space where I want to clear anxiety from my calendar. Mm. I want to clear guilt from my cal- calendar. I'm 40 years old. I've spent so much of the last 40 years micromanaging people's opinions of me, micromanaging my opinions, micromanaging my thoughts, controlling who I am for certain people that I now just want to exhale and I want to be able to sleep well yeah. and, I, and I don't want to walk around with a pit in my stomach. So now I'm just I've got snoring. Yeah, well, <laughs> the only thing you've got on your stomach at the moment is a snoring dog. Well, I'm very entertaining. Yeah, it is uh, a tough question to ask yourself, what is the best version of me? Mm. And... It can be quite a confronting mm-hmm. move because society is set up and it's just the way society is. That mm. you know, To measure success based on the measurements that society has decided what success looks like. But, <laughs> but I look at you today, like, you know, and I've seen you through this entire mm-hmm. process. Like, you look like a different person. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you just look beautiful you have this great new haircut you look so yeah happy Mm. and at peace i can't believe that you've got a show in three days like (laughs) i mean you don't look like you you do you just look happy and yes as you said you know maybe you're on a journey and of course we all are right Mm. and Mm. you know maybe if we were doing this tomorrow you might have had a different different day and Mm. you might not look that but you look like a different person. Yeah. You look five years younger. You look, you know, a hundred times happier. Mm. Like, I am. And to hear you talk, <laughs> you know, it's like talking to a different person. Yeah. I I feel, I like I said, I listened to us a little, a, a couple of weeks ago and it was like listening to someone else. And I, and I wanted to go to her and give her a hug. I was just so unhappy. And now I am, I feel full and happy and joyful and I've got this baby that is a constant reminder of what's really important because like I said when they put him on my chest everything came into focus and the only other feeling time I have that is when I step out on stage and when I step out onto stage I can't not be funny I can't hit a bad note like I, I feel like I'm on my track and I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing so I, w- I want to talk about this at the show because so how old is your baby nearly six months so did you plan like when did you decide that six months into having a baby mm. you were going to have another baby you know you were going to have the performer <laughs> like, baby exactly you know, like, uh, when did, I was you, did you not think no, I did. i'll I give myself like another six I months up my sleeve i should have i and you know what you know what will about eight weeks ago i'm like what the fuck was i thinking you know when i was having a personal silent breakdown over a few things <laughs> I was like, how the fuck? Because at that point in time, he was waking up every 90 minutes at yeah. night. And even like even then, it was fine. I'm happy to get up to him because I'm so glad he's here. But he started sleeping through this week, little champion. Oh, well done. He just knew. Good on you, mate. You know, good on you, Elio. <laughs> um, I should have waited longer. But look, to be fair, I was answering emails the day I gave birth on my phone yeah. in the hospital. That's who I am. I love working. I love my job. Um, I, even if I don't make stuff, I go a bit nutty. Mm. So it's okay. It's it's people around me are used to it. I have great a great team that when I throw ideas out, they catch it and they make it a reality. And I mean, that's all I've ever wanted my whole life. And I pick the people around me, and we complement each other. And 
they keep me in check and, um, you know, I'm just really lucky that I now am in a place where I can say the things I want to do and then then I have the right people to make them for me. Okay, so tell me then, when you're – tell me, I want to know about the show. Okay, 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 okay. okay. I want to know, like, what it looks like, how many people are involved. Okay. You've kind of hinted at what it's about, but what's the structure of it? I want to, like, you know, I want to know about, you know, this bit of work that you've created out of all this. I know. It's, um, well, God, it's a touring company of 20. I mean, I've seen... I've seen you post some photos yeah. and I was like, that is a... It's expensive. It's a whole lot of people. It's an expensive tour. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> Don't worry. i sell I a bunch about, of tickets, Emda. Well, if I was you and it was just me on stage with a stool and my fucking bottle of water, I would be not working again for quite some time. <laughs> I mean, it's an economical <laughs> business model. It would be amazing. And I'm really thinking about that for next year, guys. Let's be real. I also have 12 dancing vaginas to wrangle. So it's a company of 32. Mm-hmm. And look, six years ago, I could only afford dad and I. Mm. So I have to also go, I can, I'm now in a position where I can employ really talented people to help me. And dad, the good news is I can pay you and no, the 12 dancing get, dad doesn't get vaginas. Paid. No. Dad doesn't get paid. No, he doesn't, won't take my money. Wog. Really? Nah. He says it's all going to go to you anyway, so what's the point? Oh, well, I mean. I bought him a car. That okay. was like my my whole – my dad's a massive F1 fan, loves oh. cars. Like Daniel Ricciardo is a god. And um, he's always wanted a, a specific type of car and I was able to buy that for him. Yeah. <laughs> Could nice. not buy it now. Thank God I got it in then. Um, so the show involves – I'm sure a, he's also happy with the 12 dancing for Joe. He loves them. <laughs> They're amazing. They're classically trained, Will. I'll tell you about those costumes. Classically trained as dancers or yes, vaginas? both. Vulvas, if we're being correct. Vulvas. Oh, yeah, okay, yes. Um, but no, the show involves an eight-piece band, me. Um, I've had a set built. I always wanted to. So it's kind of this huge rainbow that spans the entire stage. There's clouds. Um, in so the, why the rainbow? What, what's the rainbow well, about? So the rainbow represents a lot of things. The rainbow represents... Um, well, the LGBTQI community is very important to me and yes. I've always been very um, supportive and I love them and it's kind of my salute to them. The babies that are born after you lose a baby are referred to as rainbow babies. Okay. Um, and I guess, you know, the idea that it, you, you get to the end of the rainbow and, and, you know, you find that thing that you've been looking for, that's also there. Also, my I can be described as a, a rage-filled rainbow. I think that could probably be the name of an autobiography or something. So um, I also wanted to balance out, if I'm being honest, the rage title. I, I, th- I knew that was going to be confronting, which is why I am uh, majestically resplendent on a unicorn in my posters because I knew that if I just had rage, people would be like, is it yeah. just her screaming on stage, throwing her period blood at people for 90 minutes? And look, when I first started out, that, that was that's definitely what a possibility. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. First draft. Yeah. Wearing the yeah. scream mask. <laughs> just on the ground in the fetal position. It was a real performance piece. Yeah. Yeah. Throwing menstrual blood at people's faces. Yeah. Just yelling, fuck you. Yeah. Um, we came yeah. a long way yeah. from that. It's 8,000 words, but most of them are fucking you. Yeah, there's a lot of fisting yeah, yourself to yeah, death. There's a, there's a good fisting <laughs> bit you'll enjoy. So I guess this, this show's kind of this exploration this um, of, of my rage and, and hopefully other people will watch it. And, and I'm a storytelling person. I've also let go of the comic tag. Um I'm not. I guess I'm. 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 I'm a bit of everything now, and I and I think I got so hung up on being referred to as a stand-up comic, I got really upset when Tom Gleason just kept calling me a, a live performer. Um, and then I thought about that, and I thought, well, you know, whatever. So I don't know. I've taken the word comic off all my bios. I'm just. 
I'm, I'm a community now, so which, which I kind of love. Um, so the show, I wrote uh, six, five original songs for this show, which I've never done. And I wrote them with Kate Miller-Heike. Now, I, so I was watching uh, oh, Ramona. She gets obsessed with bottles. What's bottle. wrong, Ramona? No, well, well, you know what it is. She bottles. It's the bottle. Yeah. And so, but she can't have that bottle because there's water in that bottle. And uh, so now I have to hide it. So that she doesn't, like half of her is on my tracksuit. Look at she. Like I'm covered, covered in the dog hair. <laughs> Ramona, you're so needy. Oh, yay! <laughs> um, she, yeah, she loves taking the lids off Look bottles. It. It's like a so as soon as any bottle looks like it's about it's to way. be empty, she's there. Then that's her little. Uh, <laughs> she'll enjoy that. She'll take the lid off and then she'll get bored of it. But <laughs> I love that dog. Yeah, so <laughs> original songs, which I've never done. <clears throat> Because I do want to record this mm. one and um, get it out to the masses eventually. So, yeah, I, I heard Muriel's Wedding, the musical, the soundtrack, and fell in love with it and found out that Kate Miller-Heike had written it. So I said, I really want songs like this. And my friend Michael said, why don't you just ask Kate if she'll write with you? And I said, there's no way. Did you know Kate? No, never met her. Just was always a fan. So I was really nervous. Like, why the fuck would she do this? She's credible. She's amazing. She's got all these things going. Why would she work with someone like me? And she said yes straight away. And it, it was joyous. And, I mean, I think she thought. So how, how does that even happen? Oh, I was so nervous. Tell me about how it happens. I, 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 I saw that she followed me on Instagram. Uh-huh. So I sent her a, a slid into her DMs. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, hey, crazy idea completely understand if you feel insulted I'm even asking you but you know I, I had to ask loved Muriel's wedding loved all the songs I'm writing a show I really want to do originals here's the vibe of the show and I kind of laid out the ideas behind you know the, the all the stories and she came straight back and she said yeah I'd love to let's meet up so I met her and her partner Kia who she writes with and also her partner and um I explained the show again to them and, and I guess seeing me with all my hands and all my earrings and glitter and they were like, yeah, we'll do, we've never done anything like this. So to their credit, fucking hell. And they just came on this journey and I would send them lyric ideas and send them script bits and they'd send me music and then um, so the songs, some of them are funny, some of them are not funny, they're poignant and um, I'm so glad they're out there. They're on Spotify. Anyone can, can listen to them. Um, but I just, I'm really proud that I've got original songs in. It's just, as also a musician, I always felt uncomfortable doing covers and, and parodies. I really wanted to challenge myself. So, um, And so the songs are already out there. So yeah, they're like, out so, there. So like a concert, people can kind of listen to Which the songs. Which is why I did it. And yes. come along and sing actually along. sing along. Because you hate going to a show where they won't sing their hits. Mm. You know, they want to give you the new experimental stuff. And you're like, oh, for fuck's sake, Prince, just do Purple Run. <laughs> so um, I, I went to um, see Prince. Me too. Uh, he was doing in LA. He was doing this. Uh, oh, wow. Uh, so it was 20 nights at the forum for $20 or something ridiculous oh, like geez. that. I can't remember if that was what it was, yeah. but the forum, which is like 15000 or whatever yeah. it is, he did 20 nights in a row, but I think the tickets were only – anyway, it was, there was some ridiculously low price. It might have been – and but then they were all on, you know, resale for yeah. – yeah, so, way more. Certainly by the time I bought my ticket, <laughs> it, it was not available bucks. for 20 bucks. <laughs> However, I went by myself and mm. uh, I was just in town and I went out to see Prince and um, he 
at one stage because I was in the round, you know. Oh, and so one corner of the stage had a piano. Yeah. And at, he, the show went probably two, two and a half, three hours. Yes, they normally do. But he, um, at one stage, he was on the piano and he would play like a, you know, six bars from Cream and then six bars from something else. And in between, he'd just go, too many hits. I've got too many hits. <laughs> Rest in peace, Magnificent. I was just like, I was like, that is a bold claim. But then after two and a half hours where you're like, oh no, you do have too many hits. You n- no way you could have fit those songs yeah. in. I so love him. Oh my God, yes. Oh, I saw him. It's the greatest concert I've ever been to. I wept. Three and a half hours, didn't leave the stage. Oh God. It, yeah, he was. Fuck, uh, it he just was, gives. Fun, funnily enough, I'd never... I mean, I was aware of Prince's music, but yeah, it just hadn't been like yeah. my passion. Yeah. But you know, I was um, uh, I, I, someone I respected had raved about these shows, mm. and I was just like, you know what, I should go and. Mm-hmm. And then from then on, mm. I was just like, oh, Prince mm. is one of the greatest Genius. entertainers I've ever seen 100%. in my entire life. Yeah. Which is, and I take, I think, I well, the way I perform, I t- have taken a lot from Prince, a lot from Freddie. I st- strut around the stage in a leotard with wings, and like, and I know that I've, I'm, I know it's he's kind of politically incorrect now, but I the first comedy special I ever saw was Eddie Murphy Raw. Mm. My dad bought it for me, and we had it on vinyl, and then I watched him in that red leather. What? It, like he's twenty twenty one years old or whatever he was when he did that, and he's dressed head to toe, red leather, in a red leather. And I just outfit. thought that's how you deliver comedy. Well, I mean, t- but the, he worked. He, the, he was like a... It was incredible. He was a, I mean, there is this thing now, and I am can be as guilty of this as anyone, which is the, you know, like, look like you're barely, you know, dressed up out of you, got out of bed. And, see, I don't, and yeah, stand I don't next subscribe to, to a, that. Stand next I don't to subscribe stool, to that at all. Have a beer. No. You know. I put, the, I don't want to look like you. crew. No. I don't want to look like the crew. There's to be no mistaking me for the fucking riggers. No, because will my audience have to take a run up to coming to see me? Yeah. A lot of them are mothers. A lot of them are women who run things. And so they've got to arrange the babysitter. And I'm getting, I've got a, I started a Facebook group for all the people attending because I wanted a lot of people come by themselves. And so I've, there's this, there's 3,000 members on the Facebook group already. And they've all started making friends and right. they're all going to meet up. They're posting their outfits. They're posting where they're going for dinner. And so. Who am I to get on stage without some fucking effort? Some would say I've taken it a bit too far. Well, I don't think so though, because what you've created is and so it's, an experience. Yes, and it adds to the experience. Yes, particularly if you're inviting people who can go. I can do this by myself. I don't need to have a friend. Yeah, I will make a friend. They always do. You know. Yeah, and so suddenly you've got this like community, like yep. you know the Grateful Dead have, or yep. like you know Barry Manilow has. You know, <laughs> like I mean, but do you mean like these yeah. people who have these? Yeah, fans who are obsessed with their career, mm. but part of their social group is also the idea of going, you know, not only am I going to go out and see M, yeah. but I'm going to go out and see the you know, thing. these other five women yes. that I only see when we all go and see Yes, M. and it's the most wonderful thing because I know what it is to be lonely and it's hard to make friends as an adult. It's hard to make new friends, meaningful friendships that you meet up with face-to-face, not just flick a text to every now and then. So if I can be the catalyst for meaningful friendships amongst adult women, fuck, I'm just, that's my job's done. But, um, yeah, so the – what were we talking about? Oh, the songs. Yes. <laughs> so they're um, – yeah. So five songs? I, I want five. Five original songs. Five originals, then I've got a couple other ones I've mucked around with. But, yeah, so the, I wanted people to be able to sing along, basically. So that's why they're out there. Um, it opens on a huge, big number called Rage Like a Motherfucker. 
Um, I think you'll enjoy that. You should listen to it later. And then the show just goes about kind of plotting the last 12 months in where I turned 40 and had a baby and all the little kind of seeds of rage that were sown in, but also the way that I unpacked them and, and then joyfully unloaded them. And I'm kind of gently sharing the techniques with the audience where we get to the end of the of the entire production, which is hopefully 90 minutes, but knowing me it'll be 120. Yeah. Um, <laughs> where everyone gets up and feels lighter. And that that's all I can hope is that people will walk out and go, ah, oh, okay, fine, good. This, this isn't such a dark place because I like to pick topics that are sticky and awful and, and hard and, and shine light into the corners of them because, you know, I think that's my job as a, as a comedian and a performer and, and taking awful hard things and, and finding the humour in them and finding a way to survive them and survive being a human because honestly, Will, every day I just try to make sure the world doesn't swallow me whole. And if it hasn't, I have to say to myself, it was a good day today. So uh, tell me then, you know, a couple of days out, mm-hmm. you know, how are you sleeping? Where's your head at? <laughs> what are your sort of fears and doubts? What are your hopes and ambitions? Yes. Like, you know, all those things. Because, you know, every performer is different. But, mm. you know, there's been times over the last you know, six months or so I where I imagine that if somebody came up to you and gave you a decent excuse not to have to do it all, you would have taken it. I would have done that last night. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> I so, just fluctuate. We had the big tech run Monday and I and I forgot 90% of what I wanted to say. And normally that's not a big deal because I do a lot of improv. I'm very much a person who will have a chat with an audience member and I'll make half a show out of what we talk about. I, I mean, I don't have a problem doing that. But I feel a great sense of responsibility with this show because I, it has such an important thing and that I want to stop the women of Australia self-harming by holding in how they're really feeling. And, and so that's really important to me. So I, I want to remember the jokes and I want to remember the research and I want to remember it all because it's important. It's not just me up on stage telling fart jokes this time or telling funny stories that only I know if I've fucked up or missed a punchline. So I've been my, I have feel a sense of responsibility to get the material out as I intended it to be received, not in some weird, convoluted, drunken, stupid way that sometimes it can. As you know, I mean, it gets a bit. So... I feel that sense of responsibility. I'm really excited. I, I'm, I'm, I've stopped sleeping. I run the opening monologue when I go to sleep at night and then if I can't run it perfect, I get up and read it again. Um, I, I don't know. I just I want as many people eyes on this show as possible but I'm worried the titles turn them off. Um, you know, I, I, I mean, I've sold pretty well. I'm about 80% sold out around the country and sold out in Melbourne this weekend, um, which is so great because it's two sold out shows at Hamer Hall, which, you know, I didn't think I'd ever be able to say. I mean, it's amazing. Like, I mean, that's, and I imagine the rest of it will follow if you're 80% sold it. Like you're, you're one of those people that like for the rest of us, Going in at 80% sold before you've started a run is like, well, that's a sold out run because it'll get sold no, out. I'm obsessively checking But the you're like, numbers. if it's not all sold I, out before yeah. you get there, you're like, it's okay. Even you two have still got a few tickets no. to sell. It's fine. My poor Frontier Touring, the lady in charge of ticketing, Heather, like I know in my mind that there are still two wheelchair access seats at the top, right at the top balcony at Hamer Hall on Saturday night that still are sitting there because I just go in and obsessively check. I obsessively check the numbers every day and I'm not supposed to and everyone's been told don't send her the numbers. So I hacked in on my manager's email, which I have access to, and I was able to get those emails funneled to me. So I could check the numbers. Why do you, why do you care about because the numbers? Because it's a sense of, it's like um, feedback. It's validation. 
Validation in numbers because I'm a needy fucking performer that needs to know people care enough to buy a ticket. But what's the me. difference between oh, one yeah. one thousand nine hundred ninety eight people or it's two thousand two hundred and ninety eight people? Okay, well I yeah, so but that's what I mean. Yes, like it's true. You know. Oh no, don't worry. I'm self aware that I'm a fucking lunatic. <laughs> I, I just can't stop it. But no, I mean, look, I mean, this will go. Brisbane, Perth, Adelaide, you guys are still to come. And, Where are you playing in Brizzy? Um, oh, in a stupidly huge venue. It's like a 5,000-seater. What, what, what Entertainment Centre. Okay, yeah, yeah, I played that. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, you've got some followers. Tell them to come see me. Yeah, well, this um, is the whole point of this. Please come, don't, Brisbane. Don't. Please come, Perth. It's okay. Um, I'm playing Riverside Theatre at Perth, Federation oh, Concert yeah, so Hall. Oh, yeah, the Riverside's, yeah, have you that's played big. there before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but that's good, though. Yeah. Like, you yeah. like that? Um, Federation Concert Hall in Hobart And then I'm playing State Theatre in Sydney Which is sold out And then I've got Emma Which has still got a couple hundred seats Have left. you done the State Theatre before yes, in Sydney? Yes, did that last year So I've never performed on Well, I, you know what? I've done, a, I think, a gala stand-up gig but I've, beautiful I've, I've watched Because I do the Opera House Yeah, but, I did that last year That's great But the State Theatre is To go and watch a show Yeah Is one of my favourite yeah, places it's, to, it's such a beautiful theatre mm. Like I do at some stage. I will like. I'd like to do a show at the stage. You should because I, I do find it a beautiful. beautiful it is, and, the, and all the walls. Like, um, when those twelve dancing vulvas come out at the state theatre, was stunning moment. <laughs> a stunning moment for art. You know, for culture. <laughs> Can't wait. No, but I mean, look, it's. I'm really. I want as many eyes on because I think it's really going to help and entertain. And I don't know. I've just said to Scott, I'm really panicked. My intended audience, not enough of them are going to see it. So that's why I'm kind of obsessed so with who's, selling it. Yeah, so who's the intended audience then? Tell me who you imagine the audience is. Well, I imagine the audience to be confused and bewildered men who aren't sure what's going on with the women in their lives uh-huh. and the women in their lives. Yeah. So everyone. This, this show is important. You know how it's really important that Channel 10 and Channel 7 screen that Simon Goods, Adam Goods documentary? Yeah. Like we don't need to see that on the ABC. We don't need to see that on SBS. Oh yeah, okay. I understand the, the point Adam you're making. Goods, you like the uh, point being is like you don't need to show it to the people who already understand it. You need to show it to the people who who may understand it yeah. if they take the time to think about mm, it, or if mm. someone says it in the way that yeah, go you know to a, a bunch of people who 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 will get it. They'll get it as soon pre- as I say if it. it's presented to them in the right way. And it is. It's presented to you by a woman yeah. in a rainbow leotard with cloud shoulder pads on a unicorn. It's presented to you in a way that is totally palatable, which was very intended on my behalf. Um, and so, yeah, and also it is important for the women it's about to see it because I want them to go, oh, fuck, I'm not losing my mind. Yeah. In fact, they're going to look around and see a bunch of women in the room nodding and smiling. Um, and, you know, and rage like a motherfucker, my, my truest wish is we're going to walk out and the last thing, the Hamer Hall, you know, this weekend, it's sold out, all these women just screaming, you're about to see me rage like a motherfucker. And they're going to sing that like a motherfucker bit. Um, and I just want all the music to drop and just hear them chanting that. And that's that's the rock concert yeah, for me. So that's the ambition. That's, that's the, the ambition. hope. If that's it, the like, hope. If it works out how, yeah. okay. So that's on its best day. <laughs> that's what it feels like. I'm worried. When, Do you, what, <laughs> what are the worries that you have? That or I won't remember not, everything. Yeah, Other okay. than that, um, I'm not worried about my ability to perform. Uh, the music sounds incredible. My band sound amazing. I've tried to get mostly female players this year, which sadly wasn't easy. Um, you know, I... Why do you think that it isn't easy? I think because 
Um, a lot of really top level session musos, musos are blokes who tend to recommend other blokes who it's just because the women, they're really good. They're just not given the opportunities to come through. So I really went on a search to find female players. Um, so I've got a great drummer, Alex. She's amazing. Phoebe on bass, my two backing vocalists, um, Olivia, Jess. And it, like, it's, it's the, my dad's there too. You know, he's there cause he's free. Nah, I'm joking. Um, but yeah, I, I'm just worried I, I won't get out everything I want to get out. That's the only worry. It's me. And again, the only thing, the only person who can stuff this up is me. Well, the other problem, so the other problem though, is that it's, it's a hard show to do, do a, a bunch of trial shows in a hundred seat theatre. Do you know what I mean? You can't. No. You can't do you know play- I never do trial yeah. shows? Do you know the first time I run the show was opening night? Yeah, at Hamer Hall. Mm-hmm. And I've done that for 10 years. This yeah. is my 10th solo show. And I've never, ever, you know what else though, Will? I don't like running it because I don't want the magic to leave the words. And I want to be believable when I'm delivering it. And when I deliver stuff, I'm in the moment with it. I'm never just on a script. You'll never catch me just voicing a script. So I'm scared to run it too many times because I want the band to react naturally. And I also want the magic to stay in the words and the way I deliver it. So I want it to still be new. So I don't run a bunch of practice or, or, and, and like, I have confidence that it's funny. I know it's funny and I, the songs are incredible. I know I'm a good singer. Like all the elements are there. I just have to put it together and I've put a year into it and I'm really good at what I do. So I just have to kind of pep talk myself into that. Physically, what sort of strain is it on you? Like mm-hmm. what sort of physical shape do you have to get into to, cause to do a show? I'm not in any sort of shape. My hip's fucked, and I know I'm saying it to a kindred spirit Stop there. Stop doing my material. Sorry, but my hip is fucked. <laughs> I, do the, I do the stuff about my hips being so, fucked. So, so sorry. <laughs> you can have your, oh, you can have your, why are you wearing all black you, and black nail polish and a black beanie and black uh, nikes? You, you can have your fucking rainbow. Guys, I got arrested last, last year. Night. I don't know if you've heard. <laughs> I know. I Yeah, my body's... A part of the show, Will, is talking about being a geriatric pregnant lady mm. and what it does to your body. And you're not supposed to be pregnant in your 40s. That's not what nature intends. Your body just fucking is like, what the fuck are you doing, girl? So everything has gone to shit. I've got an eight, eight finger tear in my abdominal wall, which is causing my lower back to be fucked. My hips are fucked. My knees are fucked. I did knee slides last year during the show, which I shouldn't have done. And I fucked one of my knees doing a knee slide over the giant penis. I'm not even going to explain that. Um, and so. <laughs> how'd, you, how'd you hurt your knee? Wow. Wow. It's a funny it was a story. huge cock. <laughs> <laughs> not explaining it. Not you explaining can't make me. It. Not explaining wow. it. Um, so, yeah, I'm not in. I've neglected my physical shape completely. So, um, I'm just. It's going to be a suck it and see. Really, I'm in the camp of hope for the best at yeah. this point in time. I'm wearing my surgery undies under my leotard, so it's great. They suck everything in, tuck everything in, but it also supports my abdominal wall and my hip. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm wearing runners, platform runners on stage for the first time in my whole career because I just can't do heels anymore. I've given up tampons, G-strings and heels as I've turned 40. Because he can be fucked with any of those things. I mean, okay. Well, at least there's no crossover in our material. Have topics. you given up tampons, G-strings and heels? Well, I mean, guess, I guess technically. You've given up is, is probably the wrong way of putting it. But I, I also feel no need for I'm them. I'm telling you, all your female listeners will understand when I say when I've given up tampons. They're too much stress. They're very stressful. Well, so, I mean, this is, like you said, the idea of, you know, you're, you're singing about... Yeah, geriatric, geriatric pregnancy, pregnancy yeah. for example. But it is something that 
more and more women. Most for women example, wait till having, later in life. Waiting, yeah. So as times change, yeah, you know, you know, the, these topics, mm. you know, become relevant to this audience. Yeah. That haven't had anybody really talking about no. these things previously. But that's so, why I do it. I kind of fill the void that I'm. I be the person I would mm. like to see and be and need. I'm the person I needed a year ago. Yeah. Right now. I am the person I needed. So you've kind of written a show for me for you a year ago. Yeah, I have. Yeah. If, that, you know, you a year ago, come and sit in the audience of this show and oh. I'll teach you what you need to know yeah. about what's going on. Yeah, pretty much. And that. Well, you, that's a good idea for a show. Yeah. That's a real, that You're feels to me okay. like that'll be a really great show. I think it's coming from a real good place. Yeah. It's coming from no spite. No, it's coming from, um, it's, it's made from love, not for love. And I think anything you do in that way holds you in good stead. What's your day like when you – so what's Friday going to look like for you? Like what's your ideal preparation? <laughs> oh, God. You I'm know, so like, nervous. You just made my – I just got sweaty. Um, I've got like to be – Do you have a way to sleep? Like are you, do you worry that you – like I mean – I'm not going to sleep. You won't sleep. I won't sleep. I mean, okay. I'll, I'll cat nap. Yeah. I've got an elderly dog that wakes up every couple hours now, so I'm dealing with him. The baby started sleeping through, which is great. Mm. Um, I've got to be at Hamer Hall by 12.30 and we've got to run a full production check um, for all the lighting because I've got John Farnham's lighting guy, Chris Newman. He's lit every single John Farnham show and every single John Farnham film clip. He's amazing. I'm so excited. I love John Farnham. He's my favourite singer. Um, favourite person of all time. I love him. So, um, Have you met John Farnham? No. I've interviewed him once down the line. I, I cried. I burst into tears and I completely ignored Olivia Newton-John for 12 minutes. There's, How would you feel if John Farnham came and saw the show? I, I've saw the show? asked. I've begged. I've tried. Oh, really? You've tried? He doesn't tried? leave his house. He just likes to fish on his trout farm and then he goes to the Africa to take photos. So last year, Will, I did a whole <laughs> show with John Farnham's band and everyone was there except Farnham. So... Chong Lim was there. Um, Brett Gus said he's played the guitar on every single track he's ever done. He's lighting guy, he's drummer, Jerry. I had John's literal entire band. They all went and told John about it. I did John Farnham material. I think it's fair to say John Farnham has sent the message. Yeah. John knows. John knows you're interested. John knows. And John has just expressed <laughs> John, his lack of interest. John has politely <laughs> yeah. declined yeah, right. with his deafening silence. Yeah, right. um, Jimmy Barnes yeah. has been great. Like he, yeah. I also love Jimmy. Like I'm a secret Aussie bogan at heart. I love Jimmy Barnes and John Farnham, my two faves. So Jimmy's been very lovely and we actually got nominated against each other for a book award and uh, he beat me, whatever. Um, and then when I told him I was going to start writing erotic fiction, he's like, yeah, I'm going to start writing fiction too. I'm like, fuck off, Barnes. Leave that area for me, thank you. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, 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 John Farnham came to my okay. show. You've really so, distracted yeah. me. Oh, no, yeah, no, so, no. yeah, I get there and we run a full production mm. thing and then we do sound check and then the dancing vaginas turn up and we have a run with the dancing vaginas. <clears throat> because in each state I've hired 12 local dancers who have okay. just graduated dance school. They're all 18-year-olds. Yep. Some are boys. Their faces are where the clitoris goes. Uh -huh. The costumes came from Brooklyn um, because I found a, a... Important lesson for men in the audience. <laughs> <laughs> Very much so. so yeah. Do you if see where the face yeah. is? <laughs> if there's a subtle message out of the face show... Face marks I'd the like spot, you, guys. I'd like you to take home. See the whole head. Here's a clue. Yeah, it's like you read my script. Um, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, pretty much a great diagram. Um, yeah, they, they came from Brooklyn because I found out if you bought these uh, costumes, a portion of the money gets donated to women's charities in New York. Okay, great. But then they got sent over and they got held hostage by customs and this guy kept ringing me saying, what, it's in these boxes? It just says... Um, 
um, made conceived in Brooklyn. That's all that was written on it. And right. I said, oh, they're just costumes for my show. And he's like, well, what are they? And I said, oh. They're giant revolvers. And then um, uh, and then they got held hostage again by FedEx because I had to pay the GST on them. Oh, yeah. Okay, so right. they were like, I just couldn't. And I thought I'm never going to get these. these volvers. The shipping was, yeah. the costumes were only 12, uh, 1200 bucks yeah. for 12. The shipping, the shipping was $4,000. Yeah, exactly. I nearly died. Yeah. So those vaginas better fucking pay for themselves, mate. I'm going to auction them after. <laughs> I'm going to sign the flaps and I'm going to auction them after. So, but the reason the vaginas are there is because it's not, you know, there's a reason. There's a, there's like a very important reason. And I'll leave you on this because I feel like I've probably spoken enough. I want to encourage women and men to flap up basically because the vagina, the vulva is the strongest part of the body. It gives life and it can take life if you do enough pelvic floor exercises. So I just, I, I want that lasting image for the women to be these majestic spinning vulvas being strong and powerful. And that is a metaphor for them to just remember to believe in that part of themselves, in that womanly part that women are strong and it's okay to be strong. It's not masculine or ball breaking. Or, or terrifying or all the words that we get called. It's a beautiful thing. A strong woman, is there anything more beautiful than a strong woman? Well, so, I, I don't think there is, yeah. Em. And that's why I have always been such a great admirer of yours and that I, I for whatever happened in your life, and I know a lot of it was really traumatic, I feel like, you know, the gift that I got out of it and, you know, I, I, I'm sure that we could have come up with another way to do this that would have been much more pleasant. <laughs> but the gift that I got out of it is that sometimes if you are side by side with somebody when they're experiencing a trauma, it artificially accelerates the intimacy that you have with that person. Mm. You know, mm. like people who go to war together yes. or people who yes. go, have some traumatic experience yeah. together that they share, mm. you know, it kind of cuts you through a, a bunch of layers of bullshit yes. into a... Like a level of, so we don't, you know, now that we're not in the same building, we mm. don't see each other with the frequency we do, but we mm. occasionally, mm. you know, just think of each other and exchange a message or yes. or whatever. And I, I certainly, you know, I genuinely appreciate that. And it's been nice to kind of, you know, get to, you know, feel like that we have, have a bond. We do. You know, and that, um, you know, we got to do this and I'm yeah. really excited for the show. Um so Friday, this Friday. Friday, okay. Friday and Saturday at Hamer Hall. At Hamer Hall. Then I go to Hobart, then I go to Adelaide, then I go to Perth, then I go to Brisbane, then I go to Sydney. But on that... How I, would you feel if I came to I the I was show? going to ask you, do you want to... Like, I've been really nervous. I've got a ticket for you, two tickets for you. Do you or do you want to just come and sit side of stage? Do you want to come? Well, would like, well, how would you feel about I would, if I came? I would be so excited for you to see me because you've never seen me. No, not like, not full like this. No, no, not at all. And I feel like. But it, would you, you feel need okay to. if yes, I came? Yes, I would love for you to come. But I was nervous to ask because I didn't think I didn't know if you'd want to. <laughs> no, I can't I, get Husey to a show. Like I can't get the blokes I love because I think they're almost frightened at what they're gonna <laughs> what they're gonna see. But I would love for you to come. Oh my god, I'm so, I'm so nervous right now. If you want to come, I will put. I I of course want you to come. I want you to see me, the best version of me. Yeah, well, I think I should sit in the audience because I want to see. Like, I mean, it feels to me like a show that you know yeah. you need to see from the front, not. Do the you want to like sit with Creasy? Do you want to sit with like people you oh, know? Yeah, that'd be good. Do you want to sit with Creasy? Yeah, can I do that? Yeah, when, yeah. When's he coming? Friday, Friday night, Saturday? opening night. Friday night. Yeah. All right, I'm in. Claire Bowditch will be there. Do you yeah. know Claire? Yeah, yeah uh, she'll yes, be there. I do. Yeah, I'll do. sit yeah. you with them. Yeah. Okay, that'd be I'll great. I'll tell Joel you're meeting him. Yeah, all right. All right. Oh Friday God, I'm night. I'm so nervous. 
Hey, Mahal. Oh, my God. All right, yeah, I'm coming. Are you sure? Because yep. if you don't come, I'll be very upset. No, no, if no. If you can't bail no, no, on me. No, no, no. I... I wouldn't have brought it up if I didn't. Oh, my God. All right. Well, then you can do yeah. it. You can tell people what you think. I Before I go, I just want to thank you for seeing me because you see me like you see me. And that's when I left the podcast last time. I'm getting teary. I felt seen by someone that I respect and admire and who does what I want to be able to do so brilliantly. Like you're our best comic in this country and best performer and someone whose opinion I value. And, and I felt seen and I continue to feel seen by you and you can't imagine how comforting that is so know that you provide me with immense self-confidence and comfort in doing what I do and that's a gift that you don't know how valuable that is to me Will so thank you very much for that it, it, it's incredible thank well you. thank you for saying that that's very nice of you and I'm glad that you came and did this and let's stop so that okay. we, I can are you really coming all... are you coming yes absolutely well I wouldn't have just said it okay great I've said it on the podcast. No, okay. I definitely, as We're long as so you're, as long as you're cool with me coming. I would love for you to be there, no. but just know the whole audience is going to be watching you throughout the whole show. Well, that's what I was going to say. That's why I want to sit next to Creasy because oh, I, can, be I, can put, I can put my beanie on yeah. and he'll want to be seen. It's so so that'll true. be fine. He, he can be my, he yeah. can be my shield. <laughs> shield. Thank you for having me and thank you to your audience for listening. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>